house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. You're under arrest for the murder of Katarina Brown. Are you out of your mind? We find the defendant guilty, Your Honor. We'll get you out, Kenny! You hear me? When her brother was convicted of murder... I can't spend the rest of my life in here. Betty Ann Waters began an impossible 18-year struggle to set him free. I'm gonna stop by trying to get a BA after I finally take the stupid GED test. After that, I'll apply to law school. But you just have to promise me that you'll never give up. I don't really have time for a friend right now. We're gonna be friends, because we're the only ones in class who've been through puberty. My uh, brother Kenny, he's been in prison for 12 years, life without parole. Wow. I'm gonna find a way to get him out. Mom? Hello and welcome to the This Hat Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast uh, whose immorality is signaled by our Red Sox hat. Every week on This Hat Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with the other old lady in my law class, Joe Reed. <laughs> oh, um, uh... What are you doing behind that bar? I don't know. I didn't want to do something in Mini I'm Drivers. Very confused by the dialect. Very aggressive movie. Boston accent in this, or Massachusetts accent in this film, especially yeah, but because it was like Massachusetts Southern. She was more like Boston, Massachusetts, but like everybody else in this movie is like Massachusetts Southern. Oh, I, need I people can't from parse. Massachusetts yeah. to get in my mentions and tell me. Um, I'll ask my mom. Regional Massachusetts dialects. I'll ask my mom. My mom was born in Massachusetts and grew up there. Um, Massachusetts queen. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it made me obviously think of Minnie Driver in Goodwill Hunting, who doesn't, she doesn't have a Boston accent in that movie because her character is allowed to be um, British. But Mm -hmm. don't at me that she's whatever half Welsh Yorkshire manchester whatever she's there's england there i don't know i have ptsd (laughs) about getting yelled at about british accents um but i was just like oh god and now she's got to like go back into this headspace where she's like oh no i'm in a bar with boston accents around me and now i have to think about my ex-boyfriend and uh, the movie they won an award for and i didn't uh phantom of the opera famously um uh, shot in massachusetts famously yes uh Yeah. yeah Uh, (laughs) the beginning of this movie is so funny where it's, uh, you know, Hillary Swank working hard behind the bar, no time for anything. She, you know, no time for even a smile. She's, you know, slinging beers around and she's bantering with the, the seemingly owner of the bar and whatever. And Minnie Driver just recognizes her from the law class and decides that she wants to be her friend. And Hillary Swank is just like, oh, what? Sorry, I don't have time for uh, friends or anything. I have whatever. And Minnie Driver's like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, because here's the story about me. My brother, like, several years ago got accused of murder, and we were very, very close, and our mother was, like, a terrible mother, and, like, lays out her entire life story for her, like, eight seconds after being like, I don't have time for even, like, polite conversation. 
It was very funny to me. <laughs> and then the driver still shows up for it. She's like, okay, I can be down with uh, all of this. What more can you lay on me? And then they are friends for life. Minnie Driver um, is like a saint on earth in this movie where she like absorbs all of this like uh obsessive brusque uh, sometimes not nice behavior from uh Hillary Swank. She like does all of this like legal grunt work for her friend for free. You know, give uh, devotes all of this emotional energy to to Swank's character or whatever and mm-hmm. ultimately it's just like the forever sidekick and it's just like goddamn like what a you know, and all because we are ladies over thirty in the same space, surrounded <laughs> by young assholes. Right. Okay, I have a question for you. Go for it. Because I do believe this is our first Hillary Swank. I think you're uh, right. We'll get into it. We'll probably get into <laughs> the ire that uh, uh, Hillary Swank has drawn over the decades from our particular uh, circles of the internet. Right. But. I don't mean to pour more salt on the wound, but would or would this movie not be ten times better if they swapped roles? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like I know that, like, Hillary Swank is the two-time Oscar winner at this point, so, like, they wouldn't, like, that wouldn't have been part of whatever studio plans were, but, like, And Hillary Swank, I think, had a role in uh, producing this, not producing it, but, like, she was one of the forces behind this. Here's here's what I will even offer you uh, in greater uh, detail, is this movie is better if Minnie Driver plays Hillary Swank's role Clea Duval plays Minnie Driver's role. Hillary Swank plays Juliette Lewis's role, and Juliette Lewis plays Clea Duval's role. Yes, I like this version of musical chairs. Hillary Swank. This is actually our second Hillary Swank. Uh, Hillary After Swank gift, though has already yeah. played that role in The Gift. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely no. fair. I don't. I remember her mullet in the gift. I don't think she had quite the teeth situation. No, no. Uh, Hillary Swank's mullet is to the gift what Juliette Lewis's teeth are to conviction. I will say, watching yeah. this movie the second time, I know <laughs> Juliette Lewis got that absolutely bonkers Boston Society of Film Critics win for this movie, what which the hell, which is like admirably goofy for a critics organization, and I do love that about them. But watching it again, I'm just like. Clea Duvall's the better small performance in this movie. Like she's Yeah, Clea Duvall is the better two scene performance. Yes. I think she's so great. And like it's in that scene where she has to sort of fess up to uh falsifying the confession, I think she's fantastic. Yeah, Conviction is our third movie, not to, you know, derail this into minutia, but it is our third movie for Juliet after The Evening Star and Natural Born Killers. It is our third movie for uh Celebrated eyebrows actor Peter Gallagher uh, after To Jillian on her 37th birthday and, of course, Burlesque. And then this is our second Swank, you mentioned, after The Gift. Our second Sam Rockwell after The Way, Way Back. Our second Clea Duval after her uh, brief performance in Zodiac. And, of course, uh, famously, our second Bailey Madison film after her... Uh, Frankly, scene-stealing work in Brothers. Uh, Mommy and Uncle Tommy have sex all the time. All the time. All the time. She's she, But once again, they call upon her to do her, her like amazing talent, which is crying and looking 
devastating while doing so. Yeah. Like, she really is only in this movie for the very brief scene where she and her brother as children, she's the young Betty Ann Waters, uh, are separated by child services. And it's so harrowing. Like, that, for as much as this movie is flawed, those scenes really do lay the groundwork for what this movie needs, which is you have to understand that the bond between these two siblings is so desperately strong that like Betty cannot fail him because it will, it will hurt her as much Mm -hmm. as it will hurt him. Do you know what I mean? And like, yes, that bond really has to get sold and those kids really do sell it. Particularly. I really wish that those scenes could be the scenes in this movie that could really um, get at class structures and class bias and um like larger systemic issues which like this movie dances around but never puts like the button on it to make this like a bigger story than the one it presents because like otherwise they just seem like bad kids like I don't know. I don't know if it they seem like bad it, kids, but they definitely seem like they have a bad mother. You know what I mean? And they seem like they're surrounded by, um, like, for lack of a more sensitive term, white trash. Like, there's a there's a lot of like, uh, poet the painting in white trash tones in this movie. Whether it's from the bar scenes to the you know their mother to you know obviously revisiting Juliette Lewis by the end of this movie like this movie really sort of marinates in that kind of stuff well and you can imagine a version of this movie because this isn't a very long movie and I'm like I bet that there's some kind of it that happened that was like over two hours right but like you can imagine or a version of the screenplay that really like hones in on the idea of bias towards lower class people right that, like, I think makes for a better movie or, like, has some more level of uh, significance you can hang on to. Um, that, like, it feels like it's on the fringes of this movie, but it never actually says it. Particularly with Sam Rockwell's character, who was a real person, who, like, feels like was targeted by this um, police department for this murder... In that, like, he had all of these prior, like, small-time instances dating back to his childhood that, like, is linked to, you know, larger systemic issues that we deal with in poverty here. And it just, like, it never gets there. And it feels like the scenes of them as children is the most ready opportunity yeah that's fair i think the other thing with the with the police issue that like they definitely mention at one point where they talk about how melissa leo's character was had said to one of the witnesses she was coercing where she's just like i get my suspect and i never let it go and it's one of those things where it's just like you know cop problems there too where it's just like it becomes more about wins and losses and it becomes well i I can't take an L on this. I have to, you know, by hook or by crook, like make this prosecution stick. And Mm -hmm. that's something you see in a lot of like legal shows and stuff like that. This movie very often felt like, uh, once again, we talked about last week with Reservation Road about a movie that feels like they would make a TV show out of it today. And like this also feels that way. Like this would be a legal procedural that would be, you know, one or two seasons or whatever. And, uh, you know, you would follow this woman's life and and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, it's not a bad movie, but it's not a great movie. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's really never better than fine. Yes. Like, there's not really anything embarrassing or crunchy about... Well, I mean, maybe it's a little, like, dated, but not, like... But like I don't know. I, I never felt myself looking askance at what I was watching. Right. It's the typical, not typical, I guess, because Hilary Swank has incredible variance in her roles. She can be really good and really bad. And this is She can punch neither. things or not punch things. Right. This yeah. is sort of n- neither fish nor fowl for her. But like, I don't think she's she ever really embarrasses herself. She's very sort of steady. There are just like, there are moments in this movie that are more interesting than others. And it makes you sort of wish that the movie had been able to, you know, go in the direction of those things that do work. Um, a lot of things seem borrowed from other movies. Obviously we've mm-hmm. seen the, I mean, that's like you said, typical and you're like, well, maybe not typical. I was like, I, I'm pretty sure. So this is a pretty typical. <laughs> no, I just meant in terms of like typical Hillary Swank performance. I'm just like, I don't know if there is uh, a yes. typical Hillary Swank performance because her performance quality does vary so wildly from film to film. Um, mm-hmm. no, there's a lot about this film that is typical in terms of its story and, you know, that kind of a thing. And obviously it's one of those things that you can tell is based on a true story because certain things, they seem really beholden to having to tell, which is interesting because this movie got flack from as almost, I have to imagine every movie that is about a real life murder catches flack from the victims families because Mm -hmm. a, like I, you know, you can't imagine what they have gone through in their life. So like, I would imagine that like, nothing's ever going to be good enough. And I don't mean that as a criticism, like, um, but a movie that is not about their loved one, but is about the person who was, you know, ultimately wrongfully accused of her murder is never going to uh, give that victim the, you know, the prominence that they would want. And that was sort of what they, they were mad that Swank and the producers never consulted them. Uh, and didn't I think the the quote that I had read was like didn't portray their loved one in a good enough light, and I'm just like I think the problem. I mean, they don't portray they don't the portray her woman like, who was murdered like at all. Basically, right. the movie opens right. with a pretty um, harrowing uh, tour through the tour crime of her scene. home and yeah. the murder. And yeah. it's upsetting. Yes, but I think in general, this movie you can tell even with like. Oh, clearly the mini driver character is a real person because they take pains to just be like, you're a great person. Like, thank you so much for helping me. You are a saint. And it's just like, <laughs> and it's just like, oh yeah, this movie really wants to sort of, you know, pay tribute to that person or, um, you know, Rockwell's character who, you know, again, based on a real person who went through something that people shouldn't have to go through, but. Also, the Innocence just, Project, which is real, and there's other right. similar organizations. Peter Gallagher plays uh, Barry Sheck, who is uh, absolutely a real person. Was it's so funny in this movie where uh, Barry Sheck in this movie is notable for having founded the Innocence Project, and he's sort of a lawyer that Hillary Swank's character knows of because of that. But like they bring her him around with them to to talk to Juliette Lewis, and in one of those like trashy signifiers she goes like oh yeah that jew lawyer i know you um and everybody's accent in this sounds halfway between boston and the sopranos which i think is very funny like every once in a while i thought that minnie sounded like uh edie falco is uh carmela soprano but whatever (laughs) 
Um, and that's not the accent they were going for. But I was just like, it's so funny that like, oh, yeah, that you lawyer from TV that I know. And it's just I like. I did just start watching The Sopranos. So you're right. This Watching this movie between Sopranos episodes did feel like a side quest. Also coming up uh, in uh, maybe end of second season uh, or third season. I think it's second season. Uh, Karen Young, who plays the, uh, the mother of the kids in this movie shows up on the Sopranos as an FBI agent. So look forward also to another performer we didn't mention who I wouldn't be surprised to see show up on the Sopranos who I love. I believe the first movie we've ever talked about this performer Ari Grainer is in this movie. Ari Grainer has a really great couple of scenes. Uh, and I think this was just, wait, when was Nick and Nora? That was 08. So I already definitely around was like, then, yeah. I had already decided to stand Ari Grainer for life after Nick and Nora. It's which, before for a good time call, it is. which uh, is so wonderful. <laughs> my my Ari Grainer thing is she should have been Golden Globe nominated for for a good time call. She should have been Oscar nominated for Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. She is so fucking funny in that movie. It's been like one of those nights, you know. I was with my friend Nora, who you don't know, but you really like her because. Everybody likes Nora, and she left me tonight, which is, she never does that, and then I was kidnapped. And then she, usually when I go home with her, she she makes me a turkey sandwich when I get home, but I might never get home, you know? I'm so tired. Um, she's just in general wonderful, and I love her. But wait, but the thing I wanted to just get out about the Barry Sheck thing is, it's funny that they had Juliette Lewis's character know him from TV, but not actually say, "Oh, you were one of OJ's lawyers," because like that's what Barry Sheck is actually—that's <laughs> what you would recognize him from if you were, especially that character. But like nine times out of ten, you've maybe heard of the Innocence Project as like a thing, but like mm-hmm. you don't recognize Barry Sheck from that. You recognize Barry Sheck because he was one of OJ's lawyers. Like that's the whole fucking thing. Anyway, it's weird that like whenever they talk about these the different OJ lawyers in a project that's not about the Simpson trial. Nobody mentions that fact, and it's just like, no, that's the fact. That's the thing. Just say OJ, for God's sake. Don't bury the lead. Um, but I think it would have been weird, probably, to have this very famous, in this movie, you know, striving for justice for innocent people, and mention that he has defended the most famously guilty person <laughs> who's ever been tried for murder in America. So, like, yeah, fine. But, but like, the Juliet Lewis character, you could believe that she would know him from other things because, like, it's conceivable that all she does is watch TV all day from, like, what we see. Right, that's true. She watches, like, uh, uh, Snapped all day on uh, on Oxygen or whatever. I don't know if Barry The Sheck cast is, a... is wild because Juliet Lewis, truly two scenes. Clea Duvall, two scenes. It makes yep. me wonder, like, are these people that Tony Goldwyn is cool with? Right, he got them into the movie. Him being an actor. and Like, they did a favor for him or something. Right, they were in some TV show episode together or whatever. But yeah, you're right. Karen Young, who I mentioned, who I had just recently seen in Torch Song Trilogy. I watched that for the first time over the uh, summer or maybe the fall. Who knows what time is anymore. Um, Lauren Dean shows up in this movie as uh, Hilary Swank's husband and sort of is dissatisfied uh, with being married to somebody who is singularly focused on 
a task that has nothing to do with him. Uh, the bartender from the bar at the beginning, I recognize because he's Rachel Griffith's husband at the beginning of Brothers and Sisters. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like people just sort of like people popping up, people showing up in this cast. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun one to talk about. Should we maybe uh, move on to the IMDb game before we keep talking about too much more of the plot? Well, let's not go do the IMDb game. I feel like that's getting a little <laughs> bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> new year new me um we we are tenanting this episode we are starting at the end this is a pin- yeah this forward. is a uh, elaborate pincher uh, operation we will give you your 60 second plot after we have done the entire episode um joe and i will be fighting ourselves elizabeth debicki will be tall um, um that's all you want out of our podcast truly yeah and it'll be uh the worst episode we've ever done it'll be uh, secretly like it's, uh, great so. it, it just like it's nolan's worst movie nope um, secretly it's good um yeah let's do the plot description though <laughs> let's do the 60 second plot description yeah uh once again we are here talking about the film conviction 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 um <laughs> Conviction. Um, uh, directed by Tony Goldwyn, written by Pamela Gray, starring Hilary Swank, Sam Rockwell, Mini Driver, Melissa Leo, we will get into it, um, Peter Gallagher, Juliette Lewis, Clea Duvall, Ari Grainer, and Lauren Dean. The movie premiered at TIFF and then opened limited October 15th of 2010. Indeed. Uh, Joe. Yes. Do you think you could give us a 60-second plot description of... Gone Weekshin. Yes, I do. All right, cool. All right. Then if you are ready for your 60-second plot description, your time starts now. Hilary Swank is Betty Ann Waters, a law student who is very busy and has a side gig as a bartender and has no time for friends except for when Minnie Driver is like, hi, and Betty tells her her whole life story, which is that her brother Kenny is in prison for murder he didn't commit, but he's, she's working to become a lawyer to overturn his conviction. We see flashbacks of Kenny getting arrested for the murder of a woman in their small Massachusetts town by Officer Melissa Leo, and eventually testimony from two ex-girlfriends gets him convicted. So Betty works and works and gets divorced and works and alienates her sons and works and eventually becomes a lawyer and takes Kenny's case to the Innocence Project, who used DNA to overturn wrongful convictions. Betty thinks she's tracked down the evidence from Kenny's trial, but then is told it was destroyed. And she's able to find it, though, at a courthouse or something, and there's a sweet old lady, and the evidence exonerates Kenny, but for political reasons, they want to keep him in prison as an accessory instead of a murderer. So Betty has to convince Kenny's now grown-up daughter to convince her mother to admit that she was coerced into lying on her oath, and she does. And Kenny is freed, and it's an incredibly happy ending as long as you don't read anything about what happens to Kenny after this movie at the end. And uh, you got that in before your time. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't know the appropriate time to mention it. The movie clearly doesn't because they don't say it at all. Not even in a postscript. Sad. There's a postscript in the movie and they don't mention it. Right. Um, uh, Like a month after. Six months. Six months after. Six months. After he was freed from. He had a traumatic head injury and died. It was like I I want to get the re- the wording on this right because I uh, the way it's worded in IMDb is so fucking tragic where um the, it's uh, six months after being released from prison Kenny fell from a wall while taking a shortcut does not elaborate what that means suffered a brain injury and died it's just a gut just a gut punch to think of just like well all especially the- after watching the movie you feel for betty ann yes um right all this time 
like putting your whole life into something and then so much sacrifice right and then six months later it's just like it's so tragic but yeah yeah this movie by the way i mentioned uh Bet- the name betty ann waters so many times because this movie was no was the title of this movie was betty ann waters for like a long time like up until i think it would like might have even like had a release date and as, uh, with as that Betty name. Ann Waters, and it was uh, changed to Conviction before it premiered at TIFF. But, uh, yeah. Thematically, it's not a terrible title for the movie, um, because it's, it, you know, it's Conviction in the legalese. Right. But it's also Conviction in, like, the, uh, the like... She steadfastly emotion. believes in his innocence. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's so much um, of that, mo- so much of a lot of the conflict of this movie... Uh, we see it with her and her mother. We see it with her and Minnie Driver at that one point where it's just like anytime anybody brings up the possibility that he might actually be guilty, she gets so fucking pissed. And she's just... it is the tethered of doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There is no there is no doubt in this. Uh, um, in this yes. Character. Um, but at the same time, the bland uh, title for the movie is exactly all of its problems and why it didn't register with audiences, it didn't right. register with Oscar. Well, and also, the title Betty Ann Waters, I thought, when you saw that this was, like, Swank's upcoming movie. And by the way, we should also mention, well, well, I do this all the time, is I say something and then I move on to something and then we all lose the thread. The title Betty (laughs) Ann Waters is such a funny, like, actress going for Oscar title because it's very much of just like, I'm playing a regular person. I am playing, I am not playing a glamorous person like I am as an actress. This is a true This is a true story story about a regular lady and her name is Betty Ann Waters. And it's just like, okay, we get it. Like, very much so. Um, But... The one of the narratives in this Oscar season that ultimately didn't come to a fr- come to fruition was Annette Benning was in The Kids Are All Right over the summer and it was a hit and it was uh very well regarded. I mean it was a modest indie hit, but like people liked it and people saw it and people talked about it. And her performance was getting Oscar buzz by then, and it was just like, oh my god, what if this is the year for Annette Benning? And then literally, like Jason Voorhees in the woods, like Hillary Swank is playing a real person. Like, no, not again. We'll have other. We're going to talk about the Hollywood Reporter roundtable later. But Annette Benning in Hillary Swank. In yet another Oscar race, it was like, oh. The oh. psychological warfare that happens in that roundtable is truly uh, it not is to be underestimated. Text. It is um, very formative. Uh, we're going to get, we're really going to get into it because you guys, listen, guys, so we're much going happens. all in yeah. on Actress Roundtables this episode. Anyway, let's talk, let's talk about the Hank, the Hank, the Hillary Swank, uh, Annette Benning of it all. Okay, so. American Beauty, Boys Don't Cry, Hillary Swank wins. Yes. Being Julia, Million Dollar Baby, Hillary Swank wins. Well, and it's funny because the 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 thing that I find especially funny about that is uh Annette Benning is repping a best picture winner in American Beauty. She wins the Golden Globe every third right? She won the Globe. No, she won the SAG. She won something. No, I think I can, I'll look this up, but I am pretty sure that Hillary Swank got them all. I think Maybe that, she won BAFTA. Look it up because I think she definitely won one of the major ones. Um, but anyway, um, but like 
it was you talk about like the advantage of being in a best picture nominee and it means that the the voters already love your movie and this advantage and it's just like that didn't work for Annette in 99 and then here comes 2004 and Hillary is the one with the best picture nominee and it's like well yeah it worked for Hillary and like I know that in retrospect being Julia isn't much of a movie and it seems insane to think like that would have been to if that was Annette Bening's Oscar movie from the perspective we have now of like 15 years later we'd all be just like huh that's an odd one that's an odd movie for (laughs) Annette Bening to be remembered for forever and ever um but yeah the fact that Bening gets bested both times despite being like Hollywood royalty married to Warren Beatty like the the grand dame of whatever Hollywood (laughs) and here's just like both right oh yeah what yeah we were both right Annette Bening won BAFTA and SAG okay Right, and Hillary won the Globe and the Oscar. Yes, okay. Yes. And Critics' Choice. And Critics' Choice, whatever. Fuck Critics' Choice. Um, although we will talk about it. At that it. point, they were more significant. Yes, true. Um, but it's just so, it's, the juxtaposition has always been funny about just like regal, uh, you know, uh, landmark actress Annette Bening, the Columbia statue herself. And, uh, and she loses twice to like, it's Hillary Swank. I'm playing, you know, my roles. I'm, you know, I have a good movie once every five years. I used to be in uh, uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Just like, not to discount her performance in those movies, because I actually think she's very good at both of those movies, Boys Don't Cry and Million Dollar Baby. But like, the optics of it, to me, is always very funny. That like... Well, and Boys Don't Cry is a movie and a performance that like has a very complicated, um, like, relationship with it now even like Kimberly Pierce has talked about it but like even if you just look at the Oscar level of it had Annette Bening won for American Beauty Hillary Swank would still have won right. for Million Dollar Baby right. and, so it's like and Hillary Swank yeah. as a one-time Oscar winner makes a lot more sense than Hillary Swank as a two-time Oscar winner for the only two nominations she has she has won not only well well that's what and conviction is the the exception to this but like with the exception of, of conviction they're the only two roles that she could have conceivably ever been nominated for oscar for really yes we will uh maybe mention another but like still a thing yeah. but like the whole like the show only lasted on Netflix for one season, even though reportedly it pulled good numbers. But like the Hillary Swank astronaut show, right? My joke at the time, I was like, the Hillary Swank being launched into space has an audience of one, <laughs> and it is a net benefit. So true. It's so true. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's one of those narratives that delight us who follow the Oscars because. There's nothing heavy about it. You don't have to take like sides or anything, but it's just very funny that Annette Benning's uh, 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 bet noir in this award's life is Hillary Swank. It's just very funny. It is interesting. Hillary Swank, who got a SAG nomination for this movie. Yes, she did. We've talked before about how SAG having these weird nominations that like make people second guess the race is really more so sag and sometimes globe but definitely sag is a little bit more prone to not only like sag specific screenings but also where the race is at early on 
Right. You know, before we've seen everything. Ultimately, at SAG, uh, in this year's race that we're talking about, she's nominated up against four women who ultimately went on to Oscar nominations. Natalie Portman, who won for Black Swan. Annette Benning, Kids Are All Right. Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole. Jennifer Lawrence for her breakthrough in Winter's Bone. And then Swank gets the SAG nomination that eventually goes to Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine. And mm-hmm. Blue Valentine is a movie that opened, correct me if I'm wrong, very late in the season. Like, didn't I even... think it was like the New Year's release, but it was a Sundance and Cannes movie. Right. Um, it was a Weinstein Co. movie. They had to push that movie really hard. Right. But I, and I, yes, I remember it being like kind of a hard sell for people because it was the, it had gotten an NC 17 and because there were like the sex scenes were really graphic or whatever. Um, it's so funny to think of like that movie feeling like in, like dangerous in that way of just like, oh my God, NC 17. Right. That NC 17 was silly and it was truly, it was because of the scene where he goes down on her. Right. So it's like it really right. exposed their like double standards. But, Weinstein was not ever shy about getting free publicity from things like that. Um, But also, the thing about Michelle Williams that year was that, like, and still, even to this day, it's kind of hard to extricate those two performances. And at the time, it felt like people were a little bit more gung-ho about Ryan Gosling in the movie. Right. And she probably benefited from... not a slimmer field but like the fifth spot was more open than the best actor fifth spot was right yes although you look at who got the the SAG nomination that didn't end up working out for best actor which was Robert Duvall in Get Low so that also that's like an early season contender that fell off and that's right SAG is prone to do that Right, but it also feels like a, a fairly weak contender. So, like the that was the year that Colin Firth won for the King's Speech. Um, Jesse Eisenberg was nominated for Social Network. That was never not going to happen. Jeff Bridges for True Grit was probably never not going to happen. James Franco for 127 Hours, who I really loved, probably would have been my winner that year actually. Um, but it was sort of just like I guess that sort of like became sort of solidified as the season went along. Although I remember feeling kind of iffy about that one. Cause it didn't seem like a whole ton of people loved that movie. Um, 127 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I hated it. I really um, liked it, but I know a lot of people were like very like mixed. Uh, well, and, and it was it. just off of Danny Boyle running the season with slumdog millionaire. So right. it's like, there's not a whole lot of enthusiasm there for that right it was a lot of like residual slumdog stuff down to like the ar rockman score and that kind of a thing yeah exactly um and it was shot by the same people it was like the same team yeah james franco um minus obviously all the actors um this spot goes to javier bardem for beautiful which my recollection of that race was they were doing specifically like targeted to the acting branch for that movie where you have like Julia Roberts specifically yes. like yes. hosting screenings of the movie yes. to campaign for Javier Bardem for that movie. Which is so, so like, funny. That always felt like a thing that was bound to happen to me. Beautiful is maybe the most recent major uh, acting nominee that I've never seen. Uh, and it's because <laughs> the reputation for Beautiful is just like Great Javier Bardem performance. That movie is bleak as fuck. And it's just like, well, great. If you've seen like other Inuritu movies, you've seen bleaker ones. In oh, interesting. Opinion. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
what is yeah, bleaker what is bleaker than beautiful in the Inuritu thing I don't know just like 21 grams watching like yeah, 21 Naomi grams really Watts bleak. scream her grief right and right like, that that's a pretty bleak movie as Amoris Peros is pretty bleak it has dog fighting in it like um and this is like a family disintegration he's dying of cancer um yeah I think it's cancer but but my point um, being that just like the the reasons that people gave for that why you should watch Beautiful, I was always just like yeah that kind of makes me not want to watch Beautiful. It's just like I have so many other things that aren't going to make me feel like garbage. And, and it sounds like Beautiful. I'm is pretty just sure my most recent out. nomination I haven't seen is Duvall for the Judge, which is never going to happen. Oh, I sure saw the Judge. I sure did see the judge. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I think I have better things to do with my time. So, yeah, Hilary Swank's career from the second Oscar to this is kind of um, hilarious, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Of <laughs> oh, just my like, God. Um, we but started just... the episode saying we're not going to be mean to Hilary Swank. Did we say that? Oh, I don't recall saying I that. I mean vaguely. Um, <laughs> no, I don't want to be mean to Hilary Swank, but just like, I just, I'll read you the titles, okay, right? So like, 2006, The Black Dahlia, Brian De Palma's The Black Dahlia, which is like, not, it's respectable, but it's also I like bananas. That. And like, she's not the good thing about that movie. Um, There's not, from my memory, there weren't a lot of good things about that movie, there but weren't. it has its fans and they are people. People really trust, loved so. Fiona Shaw in it. People sort of mm-hmm. like loved the De Palma-ness of it and whatever. Yeah, it wasn't not my favorite thing either. Um, is that Hartnett and Aaron Eckhart are the two men in it's that? It's definitely Josh Hartnett because I remember thinking, why is he in this movie? Yes. Um, yeah. That's also an odd Scarlett Johansson performance in that, as far as I Who remember. actually plays the Black Dahlia? I believe our friend Jesse Knight is really into her performance. Is it Mia Kirshner? I think it's Mia Kirshner. Yes, Mia Kirshner, who is really good. Yeah, yes, she is. She's uh, an actress who... I'm trying to remember what project I knew her from first, but she's like very notable for being on The L Word and... Um, uh, what would I have? She was in the Crow City of Angels, of course. She was in uh, not another teen movie. She's the Sarah Michelle Geller in Cruel Intentions of uh, not another teen movie. Sure, um, but I feel like I knew her from a TV show, and now oh god, she was in an episode of Road to Avonlea. Um, oh, you know what it is? God, I'm such a trash. Um, there was a TV show on CBS in the very early 2000s called Wolf Lake. That was this very sort of uh uh twin peaks esque like the show that jacob Tremblay watches in uh john f donovan (laughs) sort of but like it's less of like a it's more of this like a isn't this like weird small town supernatural things are happening spoiler they're all werewolves and it's like lou diamond phillips and uh sharon lawrence and mary elizabeth winstead was in this but like mia kirshner was uh sort of the kind of the laura palmer of that show, if I'm not mistaken. So that's what I know her from. She so only anyway. play people who die? Kind of. Yeah, okay. maybe that was her thing for a while. But anyway, so Black Dahlia, like, whatever. And then 2007, her triptych of films are The Reaping, which is a horror movie. Which is movie a that... terrible horror movie that I can still fuck with. Sure. Uh, one of those Dark it's Castle uh, uh, horror movies. Freedom Writers. Freedom Writers, which was essentially this, like, Richard Legravenes, who... 
did a script polish on Aaron Brockovich, also did a script polish on Conviction. Um, and it feels like, because Conviction originally was a Universal film before it went to Fox Searchlight. And it feels like Richard Legravenace is like Universal's in-house guy to just like go up polished mm-hmm. scripts of true life stories for, um, for female screenwriters, whatever that says about uh, Freedom Universal's. Writers, which is like... Da- for people who didn't think Dangerous Minds was white savior enough, there's freedom <laughs> right. That yes, that's basically uh, the thing. Um, uh, but produced by all of the Aaron Brockovich people, also written and directed by Richard Legravenes. Uh, and then the third movie from 2007 is P.S. I Love You, which is like widely derided. Also Richard Legravenes, um, uh, with her and Gerard Butler, and he he dies right. He dies at the beginning of that and like writes her letters or sh- or. I think she has letters from him from like that were written before he died. I've never actually Maybe. seen P.S. I Love You. Also, wait, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in that. Maybe he's the one who dies. Because wasn't there a thing where like Jeffrey Dean Morgan died and everything? Where it was like Grey's Anatomy and then the pilot of Weeds and maybe also But then this? why is Gerard Butler on the poster? Like creepily behind yeah. her like he's the ghost. Right, right. Now I'm trying to like read this plot description um, as we go along. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, terrible trio of films for a two-time Oscar winner at this point. Um, Amelia is her next major movie in 2009, which is a uh, Oscar buzz disaster of the highest order. Uh, Mira Nair's Amelia. That, like, that was one a year ahead of time. Eventually. It was just like, uh, here comes Hilary Swank playing a very, very famous woman, and uh, and it came to nothing. And then conviction here, but like there was, it was a you know a tough middle portion for uh, for this. Also, her character, not to like belabor the point of her characters being named Betty Ann Waters because I know that was a real person, but it always uh, dovetails very well with her role in The Homesman as Mary B. Cuddy. Where it's just like, oh, sure. like this is like the salt of the earth names or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but so then here comes Conviction and she's getting the Oscar buzz for it. So they plug her in to that year's Hollywood Reporter round, uh, Actress Roundtable with five other women who did get Oscar nominations. Yes. And it's she's- true. It's uh, We're going to get into the history of the round table, but it is the only year where only one person is right. nominated. It's the classic uh, trailer where it's like Academy Award nominee X, Academy Award winner Y, and then just like regular person name. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> it's, you know, it's the, the harshest okay. cut. So, We've talked about this roundtable before. It's a really good one because it's the one where Portman it, mentions Milos Forman telling her to stop acting like she's in a bad movie. She's in a good movie, right? And she wasn't in a good movie. It was Goya's Ghost, another movie <laughs> with some teeth stuff going on. Yes, um, but like it's the first time it was on the cover. It wasn't the first one. The first one, at least from what has been put online, still is two thousand and eight. It's amazing because, like, now they are very heavily produced and, like... Very glossy. Like, last year, they are in gowns the whole yes. time. Right. I, I was like, they're probably so uncomfortable. Right. Um, but this is, like, 
They're in business casual attire. They're wearing like jewelry from Chico's. Helena Bonham Carter is there. And like, if she they're in the back room of a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it looks like it's some dorm attic where it's like (laughs) you can see a cord hanging in the background. You can Uh, see a door to an exit that looks like there's stairs going into a basement. See, I was just like, they're upstairs at a pub somewhere, like planning the, the Les Miserables protests or whatever. Right. Like, that's just like that. That was the vibe that I got. But like, they're a little bit more off the cuff than they are now, but it's still like the energy in the room is so like delicious to watch. Like, Annette Benning is the chaos agent. She doesn't really acknowledge Hillary Swank except to, like, I've mentioned this before, like, Hillary Swank mentions this role that she wanted to get, and it turns out it was people like us. And Amy Adams at the time was supposed to have the role, and Annette Benning's like, "Oh, Amy, didn't you get that role?" Um, Annette is very much like Queen Bee, but just like throwing poison darts in every direction as much as possible. But she's yes, she's very Annette much... Benning kind of walks away with that round table in a way that oh, is so for good. sure, um, for sure. Also, Portman underrated is moment. Port- uh, because I've Sorry. brought up the people like us thing before on this podcast, one in rewatching it now that I loved, uh, Hillary Swank's talking. He's like, it's a first time director, but he's written before and he's like known. And like, you can tell Hillary Swank is like trying to not say what the movie is. And because, because she wants asking and digging, yes. it's like, oh shit, I brought up this movie that someone else in the room got cast for. Um, but, like, people keep digging, and she brings up that it's Alex Kurtzman who does the Transformer movies, and, like, she's talking directly to Nicole Kidman. She's like, I've never heard of him before. <laughs> that made me very happy. Well, Nicole even Kidman better. So, like, Transformers are. My, yeah, so, like, watching it, the experience of watching it is just, like, you're right, is, is Swank is trying not to get specific on the movie because she doesn't want to tell tales. But also I think she realizes halfway through the story that she's going to end up feeling uh, embarrassed by the fact that she got so into the script by uh, Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi who made like Transformers and whatever. And so she's trying to talk it up. But then the second she says uh, they made Star Trek and Transformers and then Nicole Kidman's face. She's like, I saw Star Trek. I bought a ticket. But she has that look on her face like when she and Ellen were bullying Giada De Laurentiis. Do you remember? Where she just like her eyebrows raised and she's just like, oh, like, and she can't (laughs) help her snobbery. And like, so her, Nicole Kidman's vibe, Nicole Kidman was there because she was uh, in Rabbit Hole. Yes. But Nicole Kidman's vibe throughout this whole thing is she keeps like, she's very much like the auteur girl in this one, right? Where she's talking mm-hmm. about working with these very sort of like difficult, she's the one who, when Helena Bonham Carter brings up that she had turned down breaking the waves, essentially because my favorite part about that is Helena says without saying it, like, I didn't realize that Lars von Trier was a visionary. And what she doesn't say but implies is, I just thought he was an asshole. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why she didn't do uh, Breaking the Waves. And Kidman is the one who's, like, making the case for, because she had worked with Lars on uh, Dogville. And she's just like, oh, he's, you know, I know he, like, um," and she says, oh, I can't remember. I should have written down the word. It's not domineering she says something about just like he can be uh vindictive 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 is the word and i'm just like you don't understand how terrible of a descriptor that is do you Mm -hmm. where she's just like oh but i loved him and and um 
But like Nicole that's her still vibe has on that this. very reserved energy, whereas like she does these Sorry, things now and she's way more like loose and like I guess probably figured out a way to um like uh dodge certain conversation points maybe because yeah. in this one she like references times of her life being very dark but not yeah. mentioning what it is and we're like oh scientology um yes and she also also mentions that like while you're making a movie she mentions like getting injured on the set of Moulin Rouge she talks about like um sort of essentially like ex- accepting whatever kind of uh, domineering treatment from directors or anything, which I always think like she's talking about Stanley Kubrick on Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like, she's very much just like, oh, I'm just like there for whatever, essentially. Just like, I'm not there to question it. And she uh, does have a railing moment where she's like, all of this behind the scenes things and how right. much access there is to it. I was like, oh, okay. So Nicole Kimmon really doesn't like the IMDb trivia page. Um, <laughs> well, also like, and that's obviously, that's but an she offshoot. she brings of- stuff up too. Like she mentions that they almost had a bigger director for Rabbit Hole than John Cameron Mitchell. Yes. And I'm like, but girl, you're giving these details away. <laughs> right, right. And she also talks about, and I was, I, the best things about these, especially old actress roundtables, is trying to guess the movies they're talking about where they don't mention it, where she's talking about, I'm working on a project, and if we can't find a director for it, I might direct it myself. And obviously, she never ended up do, directing anything herself. But I'm wondering what project that might have been. I wonder and... if it was like Fur. Well, Fur was, was before fur. that. Fur, really? I think, was okay. oh, oh. Six? I can't remember, but I think it was before. One interesting thing is Nicole Kidman is the one in this roundtable that sticks up for TV telling interesting stories. She, she says loves she's HBO. Like a, she's addicted to Boardwalk Empire, yep. which really yep. threw me in this conversation. But like she eventually has become a prestige TV actress, and like this is something from a decade ago. Um, but yes. But Hillary Swank's vibe throughout this whole roundtable. So unfortunate. She's always sort of butting into conversations. She's kind of like dominating the talking time. And she doesn't quite understand how to read a room when everybody else is either A, disinterested in what she's saying, or B, like Nicole a little off like she's on her phone half of the time that Hillary Swank is speaking. Right. Absolutely. And she always sort of like is like halfway putting her foot in her mouth about like saying something that is like unintentionally uh slighting everybody else in the room. And <laughs> well, it's and so also weird. like she spends half of her time being like, Yeah, I know, isn't that so great? Where it's like I think of the Fred Armisen gif where he's in <laughs> drag and like putting his face forward and looking around the room. That's Hillary Swank's vibe in this. Oh, she also uh, she goes on this one tangent about how she thinks that critics have so much sway, and if critics don't like a movie, a movie won't do well. Which I think is so funny. Okay, when you think but about- her main point about it is like I would understand like a larger conversation that like critics she. She kind of talks out of both sides of her mouth because she's like, critics destroy movies, but people don't listen to critics anymore. But, but if like, you realize the point... movies she's coming off of, though, as, as saying that, is she's coming off of Amelia and Freedom Writers and P.S. I Love You. And it's like, well, yes, I understand how you would think that critics are the reason why those movies But her do like well. main sticking point that she goes all in on that I'm like, okay, maybe this is where we can be a little mean to Hillary Swank. Yes. Like, what are you talking about is that she says critics don't like linear storytelling. Right. 
she gets very defensive about the majesty of linear storytelling. And that's the point where all I, all I want to do is look at Annette Bening's reactions to her and Nicole Kidman, especially <laughs> Nicole Kidman, who's like Nicole Kidman's dream girl at this phone. point. She's <laughs> on her Blackberry. But um, you could tell, like, also, that's the moment where they all realize that just like, all right, like she's Hillary basic Swank and we're is not there basic. to campaign for a movie that doesn't use linear storytelling. Right. <laughs> so true. Meanwhile, so across true. the table, Helena Bonham Carter is an anthropomorphized uh, series of jangly bracelets. Her bracelets She's also... are so loud the whole time. She literally reaches across the table to grab <laughs> some Altoids at one yes! moment. And the crinkly Altoid paper is so loud. <laughs> so loud i was like what the fuck is happening oh she's just reaching for an altoid but that is also like the low budge lo-fi nature of these things where it's just like mm-hmm. they were just operating off of like one boom mic or whatever now and you they can... give them a table too large for them to reach across um right. i do think helena bonham carter and this is like maybe one of my top three actress roundtable appearances she's she very fun. so much good gossip she gives gossip about tim burton yes she um, talks about their process on set that i think is very revealing and very fun but she's the quintessential one british woman on a on a a round table of americans and then one australian but she's very she much genuinely just like, does not give a fuck right um but not in an aggressive way, just in this very sort of like blase way where she's just like, where when Nicole goes in on and just like, you know, uh, or one of them was just like, oh, it was Amy. When Amy's just like, well, now it all has to be a fashion show and you have to get dressed up for this and dressed up for that. And Helena Bonham Carter is just like, or you could not. She's just like, whatever. She's just like, she's oh, like, what's going to happen? About you, but who cares? I'm going to end up on a worst dress list. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, she does not care. Okay, a few other things that are, like, surprising energy, aside from Annette Bening as the chaos agent. Wouldn't have expected that. One, Amy Adams, who does these things all the time, and, like, gets slack for being boring on them. Like, she's never more conversational than in this one. And it's great. And, like, she's talking about where she is as a mother and, like, the type of roles that she wants to take so that she doesn't have to lose the time with her daughter, that she'll never get back. Uh, Nicole Kidman doesn't say a word until 15 minutes in. Yeah. But the quietest person who, like, if you consider it in the context of the time, makes sense, is Natalie Portman. She doesn't really pipe up that much, and it's because she's pregnant as hell and probably miserable. Yeah, and also, like, she was the frontrunner, like, that year, so, like, she doesn't really have to, like... She's a little less desperate to, like, sell it than I think. Okay, but at this point, she wasn't the frontrunner. This is before any of the actual like prizes were going out at this point it was probably Annette Benning who's the front runner yeah that's because probably Black true. Swan it took that movie making money for yeah. I think that to happen because it was still a horror movie there's lesbian sex there's gore right. like that's a good point that's a good point Amy also in this one and I'm pretty sure it's a story she maybe tells at some other ones other but like this is where you really get the like foundational thing for me about Amy Adams which is that she was like she was just like a workaday actress for so long mm-hmm. and she really didn't think it was going to happen for her. And then June bug happened and like this unexpected career spark happened for her. And she really sort of like gets into that. And she talks like she, she's just like, yeah, I thought about, you know, changing my career. And she kind of like, she's quickly is just like, person she very quickly people. is just like, Oh, I, I not, not seriously, but it's just like, you get the sense that like, yeah, she was like questioning whether she was going to be able to make a, you know, a life out of this. And, I always think about that when I think of Amy. So, Joseph, 
Yes. We've gone into detail about this Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable. Yes. It's a good one. We'll put it on the Tumblr for you guys to watch. And maybe I'll put some other clips in there. Because, Joseph, we are also here to celebrate the Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtables. There's many other uh, places that do it now. Variety does the Actors on Actors. That is very good. The LA Times has been doing their own roundtables. But it's like the Hollywood Reporter one is the big one, right? And we always get excited to see who's going to be in the Actress one. Yes, probably don't even watch the actor one because it is boring without fail (laughs) we watch the actor one while we're doing other things while we're uh you know writing articles and making lists and whatnot it is background like the writer one the director one is even more interesting than the actor one oh yeah um more like thoughtfully uh curated i would say and who they get in there and we as uh you know actress obsessives uh, yeah. Like to get into the minutia of what happens in these roundtables, who's chosen for them. Minutia so such as when people reach for Altoids. Like, uh, yes. Kind of <laughs> minutia like Catherine uh, Hahn and Rachel Weiss uh, basically fucking. Uh, um, in our minds, at least. Um, yes. They flirt throughout their entire roundtable together. It's, it's wonderful. wonderful. It's great. Um, uh, people who will take random screenshots of actresses at these roundtables not speaking and trying to project uh, what their thoughts are onto yep. them. It's Always great. love seeing people get mad about that online, but it's fun. Yes. Um, I myself may have like uh, studied every moment of Isabel Huppert on you her roundtable. can't She's imagine. Like, Couldn't be you. Uh, the, the reaction of her saying no, shaking her head favorite gif of mine i also love this one that i found of her like pointing and nodding at something like yeah that's right (laughs) um i love that um anyway yes because we obsess over these things naturally the only thing we can do is make a quiz about it Yes, Joseph, I have a game for you. I'm so excited for this. We're going to dig into the lore of the Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable. We're going to uh, look at who was there, what were they there for, uh, who else was with them, who's been there how many times. It's going to be it's going to be a time. Okay. Uh, to give you a little bit of preface on this, because I know. We're talking about a lot of Oscar races. There are, to my count, a total of 55 actresses who have participated in these things since 2008. Um, The first one I can at least find that's online. Um, So that's a little bit of background for you. I have a couple questions. We're going to end it with a lightning round. Oh, my God. I love a lightning round. Are you ready? Yes. Very much so. Okay, Joseph. First question. You're well primed for this. Is about Amy Adams. Okay, so Amy Adams gets the most flack for these things because she like has probably never turned down the offer to appear in one. And she's uh, always Amy, buzzed for something. And she's always buzzed for something. Now people are like, why is she there? She's here all the time, and now she's boring. Uh, not true for 2010. Sure. Um, so Amy Adams has appeared in six actress roundtables, the most of any actress can you name what year she was there for of those six and what movie she was campaigning? All right. Well, 2010 for the fighter. Correct. Um, was she there 2014 for big eyes? She was. Okay. 
Um, Two out of the six. And there's some years where you could say there's multiple movies, so, like, I will take one or the other. Okay. 2012 for The Master? Yes, also Trouble with the Curve. (laughs) Beautiful. We'll do Trouble with the Curve sometime. All right, three more. Um, I don't think she was at the 2018 one for Vice. Because that was the one where they were all in red, and I don't remember seeing her. That was the Catherine Hahn, Rachel Weiss, Glenn Close, Lady Gaga one. Okay. Correct. Okay. Um, other Amy Adams. This is 2016 for Arrival? Yes, and Nocturnal Animals. <laughs> oh, sure. Sure, Nocturnal Animals. Um, they tried it, honey. They sure did. All right, two more. Two more. Was she there in 08 for Doubt? She was. The right. very first one. The very first one. So I'm only missing one. Um, Amy, Amy, Amy. Hustle. 2013 for Hustle. Yes, for also Hustle. for the movie Her. Her. Yes, okay. Next question. So yes. Amy Adams has appeared in the most roundtables with six. Who is the actress that has appeared the second most number of times in the THR actress roundtable? How many times and can you name the movies? Oh, gosh. Is it four? Is it four times? Is the second most time four times? No, five, three, three. Oh, only three. Emma Stone. No. Damn it. Jennifer Lawrence. No. (laughs) Damn it. Um. uh, Viola Davis. No. Well, I'm just getting worse and worse. It's an actress that we've talked about recently on this podcast. Uh, like on this episode? Not on this episode. All right. Last week? <laughs> no. Okay. Um. Damn. Can I get the years? You can get the years. It is 2009, 2011, 2015. 2009... 2011, 2000, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Really? That is some, so. She has 2000, appeared on Actress Roundtables three times. She is the second most. Maybe she'll show up again this year and uh, <laughs> solidify her place in, in second place. An education, um, shame. In 2009. An education, shame in 2011, and suffragette in 2015. Correct. Shame could have also been there for Drive. Right, right. Yes. I'd prepped the next question guessing that you would have guessed a certain actress who you didn't guess. Uh, I was expecting you to guess Nicole Kidman as a second time uh, or the second place um, yeah. person. Nicole Kidman has only appeared twice, though. After 2010 in Rabbit Hole, what other year did she participate in? What were the fil- film or films that she was campaigning for? 2015 for Lion? No. All right. All right. After 2010. Um, was it something that she was eventually Oscar nominated for? No. No, it couldn't have been. Um, not Boy Erased. Boy Erased? Is that, 
Boy Erased and Destroyer, 2018. She's in the Glenn Close Lady Gaga She's in the the Ladies in Red one. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. Okay. Besides Hilary Swank, Hilary Swank has appeared twice, both for movies she wasn't nominated for, including Conviction. Besides Hilary Swank, who is the one actress to appear on multiple actress roundtables to not be nominated for any of the films they were campaigning for. I'm going to give you options. Your options are Octavia Spencer... Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, or Michelle Williams? Well, Emma Stone, I'm pretty sure, was on a roundtable when she was nominated for one of her nominations, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Octavia Spencer, I can't think... uh, I mean, she might have been on the one for the year she was in Fruitvale Station, but I think she's been nominated so many other times that I feel like going 0 for 2 would have been tough for her. I want to say it's Emma Thompson for Saving Mr. Banks and something else, but I can't think of what the other one might be, unless it was like Last Chance Harvey or something like that. But like that's my guess, is Emma Thompson. That is correct. Emma Thompson has appeared twice. Neither time was she eventually nominated. Okay, so those four actresses I gave you, Octavia Spencer, Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, Michelle Williams, have all appeared in two Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtables. Can you name both of the movies that they were in? We will start Octavia Spencer. What was she campaigning for? Probably The Help. Correct. And Hidden Figures. No. Damn. Was it Fruitvale Station? It was Fruitvale Station. Okay. All right. Okay. She Emma was a Stone. she was a very big contender early on in that season. And it just like didn't it, she win National Board of Review? I think she did, and then nothing after that. Yeah. Uh Emma Stone's two would be probably Birdman. No. La La Land. Yes. And the help? No. Okay. Um, the favorite. No. <laughs> no. Shit. Um, you're not far off from the favorite. Not far off. <laughs> um. Shit. It was 2017. It was 2017. Oh, um, Battle of the Sexes. Battle of the Sexes. Another early season contender. That's the thing. That's the one of the helpful things about trying to guess THR ones is like who was really, really buzzed at the time when they started reaching out to publicists, which mm-hmm. would have been like early fall. Also, uh, if not late summer. Well, if she hadn't won for La La Land, she probably would have been nominated for Battle of the Sexes. I agree. Um, your next one is Emma Thompson. So Emma Thompson was definitely on the one for Saving Mr. Banks. Correct. I don't think she would have been considered supporting contender for an education. And I wonder if 2008 was slim enough that they would have had her on for Last Chance Harvey. So that is my guess. It is 2008 Last Chance Harvey, but also Brideshead Revisited. She's great in Brideshead Revisited. Nobody talks about that movie anymore, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then the final one for this question, Michelle Williams. What two roundtables was she on? Okay. Now. So 
One of my things while I was watching the 2010 one was I had such a hard time envisioning who would have been at the 2011 one because so many of the major contenders that year, I'm like, well, Meryl didn't do it. Meryl's never done it, I don't think. Um, or maybe she has, like, once. Anyway, I'm sure that's a, that's a thing. But anyway, I think she was there in 2011 for my week with Marilyn. Michelle Williams. Correct. What was the other one? Well, not 2010 for Blue Valentine. Um, <laughs> was it 2016 for Manchester? No. Damn. All right. Michelle, Michelle, Michelle Williams. Well, Brokeback was too early. Um, this one, uh, I would say maybe is a tiny bit of a reach, but it makes sense why she would be there for this one. A lead performance? Uh, yes. And maybe no. Maybe there's <laughs> multiple movies. <laughs> okay. Um, Michelle Williams. Not Oscar nominated for either of these things. No. Right. Okay. Um, God, now I'm just, all I can think of is Fosse Verdon. God damn it. Get out of my head. <laughs> get out of my head, Fosse Verdon. Get out of your head. You're doing the, you're doing the hand thing above your head to get Fosse Verdon out of yes. your head. Yes. That's exactly what I'm doing. Um, uh, you know me so well. Okay. Um, I don't know. I need a hint. It's 2008, the first year of the roundtable. Well, God, so 2008, she's in Synecdoche, New York. Yes. And she's in something else. Wendy and Lucy. Yes, of course, Wendy and Lucy. She's great in both of those movies. And it's like, um, well, they got her. They got her for the roundtable. Listen, they got her for good performances, at least. So good for that. Exactly. Okay, so uh, next question. Uh, I'm going to give you three of these of this question. Of the four actresses I am about to uh, list for you, who is the only one to ever participate in an actress roundtable? Okay. Patricia Clarkson, Kira Knightley, Melissa McCarthy, or Jackie Weaver? Only one of them has ever done an actress, uh, Hollywood Reporter actress roundtable. I feel like I would remember a Melissa McCarthy roundtable. I don't think Jackie Weaver. Who are the other two? Patricia Clarkson and Kira Knightley. I'm trying to think of what movie Patricia Clarkson would have been there for, so I'm going to guess Kira Knightley. It is Patricia Clarkson. For what she, though? She was Not... there for Cairo Time and Whatever Works. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Is that what, 2011? Nine. 2009. Nine, 2009. That is genuinely awesome. Good okay, for Okay, which uh, no, it's a we'll get we'll I want to talk about the 2009 one. We'll get into it. Okay. Um for a specific reason. Okay. Uh which of these four actresses is the only one to participate in an actress in a Hollywood Reporter actress roundtable? Kathy Bates, Sally Hawkins, Julia Louis-Dreyfus or Margot Robbie? Again, I feel like I would remember a Julia Louis-Dreyfus one. I feel like she would have had some moments. Um, Kathy Bates, I think her most recent buzzy ones would have been would have predated the roundtables. Who are the other two? Sally Hawkins and Margot Robbie. So both of them were obviously nominated for actress in 2017. So you would think that Roll That Dice, that one of them would have been. 
Um, I'm gonna say Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins was there for Happy Go Lucky. Oh, the Happy Go Lucky year. Okay. Last one of these questions. Which of these four actresses is the only one to ever participate in an actress roundtable? Bernice Bejeau, Holly Hunter, Marissa Tomei, or Robin Wright? <laughs> wow. All right. Well, again, the 20, 2011 one is such a black hole in my mind that it could have been Berenice Bejeau, although I don't remember ever seeing even like a photo of her. Robin Wright. What would that have even been for? Like the Congress? Like, honestly, uh, I'm having trouble picturing that one. Who are the other two? Holly Hunter and Marissa Tomei. Huh. Marissa Tomei could have been 2008. I'm going to guess Marissa Tomei. It is Robin Wright for The Secret Lives of Pippa Lee. <laughs> Get out of here. What year was that? It was 09. We're going to talk about 09. 09 um, sounds chaotic as hell. Also, I sent um, the 09 lineup to uh, both uh, friends of the podcast, Katie Rich and Nick Davis. And uh, Katie went the same route that you did and said, was Robin right there for that CGI movie? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, it's Pippa Lee. Oh, um, my God. Okay. Next question. Which, uh, kind of a pivot from the other question, which of these actresses has only participated, or which of these actresses have participated in more than one actress roundtable? So they've done it multiple times. Is it Kate Blanchett, Viola Davis, Helen Mirren, or Rachel Weisz? Kate Blanchett, Viola Davis, Helen Mirren, Rachel Weisz. The funny thing is, is I all remember one. I remember one for all of these women. Um, I remember Kate Blanchett being like kind of mean in hers. <laughs> um, I'm trying to. I can't. I don't think she was mean. She was like she was. Uh, we'll talk about the 2015. Okay. Well, I just gave you an answer. Whatever. Um, Kate, Viola, Helen Mirren, and who? Rachel Weiss. Well, obviously we remember Rachel Weiss flirting up a storm with Katherine Hahn in 2018. Um, she might have been there for Deep Blue Sea also. But I'm going to guess Mirren, and I don't know why. It is incorrect. It is Rachel Weiss. It is. For Deep Blue uh, Sea and The Favorite. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's that's your answer for that one, because your next question is what films were each of those actresses uh, campaigning for? You have Kate Blanchett. I already gave you that. It's 2015. It's Carol. Um, and I guess truth. Um, Viola Davis, Helen Mirren, and Rachel Weiss. What? Wait, uh, movie but I didn't get both of Kate Blanchett's. I guess the second one is Blue Jasmine. No, Kate Blanchett's only been in one. Oh, well, only one of them was in two of them. Okay, I exactly. get, you, get, you, get you. Okay, Helen Mirren was there for... The Last Station? No. Damn. Was it Eye in the Sky? Yeah, yes and no, because I think that is a 2015 movie and she was there for 2015. Trumbo. And, and Woman, Woman in Gold. In gold. <laughs> <laughs> you have Rachel Weisz. Which one did Viola Davis participate in? 
I mean, I'm coming again. I'm coming up empty for 2011, so I'm going to just keep guessing 2011. So the help, 2011. The help, correct. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, when Rachel Weisz was there for the Deep Blue Sea, she was one of two performers in her roundtable to not be nominated. Who was the other actress? Deep Blue Sea is 2012. Yes. So she was one of two who were not nominated that year. Correct. 2012, who wasn't nominated? Uh, hold on, let me double check that it is 2012. Okay. Yes, 2012. Okay, all right. So, let's see. What are the big movies that didn't get? That was Jennifer Lawrence won, Jessica Chastain, Naomi did get nominated, Nicole Kidd, no, no. We said Nicole Kidman, not Nicole Kidman for the Paperboy. No, no. Okay. Um, God, what if Emmanuel Riva? What if Emmanuel the... Riva and Kavanjane Wallace were both on that roundtable? What? That if? would be amazing. That would be amazing. Um, um, Emmanuel both... Riva couldn't do anything. She like only could show up to the Oscars because she was so old and wasn't allowed to travel. Right. No, I do recall that. Um, Helen Hunt was nominated. This is probably I, the sixth place best actress contender. I was going to say, because like Kavanchanae Wallace and Emmanuel Riva were both considered like fringe possibilities before those nominations came out. Um, even though I remember being like very steadfast about like, no, they're definitely going to happen. Same, same. Um, I, I need another hint. I'm sorry. Um, this, uh, uh, surprisingly is this actress's only appearance on a round table. She previously had already won an Oscar. Okay. All right. A best actress Oscar? Best actress Oscar. Halle Berry? No. Possibly a, uh, the joke is that she is a 9-11 truther. <laughs> oh God, Marion Cotillard for Rust and Bone. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, the, uh, next, uh, group of actresses, four actresses appearing in two, uh, round tables. Which of these actresses did not get nominated for both of the years they appeared? So they're campaigning for two separate years. Only one of them didn't get the nomination the year that one of the years they appeared. Is it Glenn Close, Laura Dern, Jennifer Lawrence, or Natalie Portman? Glenn Close, Laura Dern. So, sorry, give me the parameters. All of these women were on They've multiples? They've appeared twice. Three of them got nominated both of those years. One of them only got nominated one of the years. So Laura Dern has had two nominations within that window. Um, who are the other women? Sorry, I have... Uh, Glenn Close, Jennifer Lawrence, or Natalie Portman. Glenn Close, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence is one of those ones where I'm tr- struggling to come up with a movie that she would have been buzzed for that she wasn't nominated for because she did just keep getting those nominations. And then at some point she just like stopped campaigning. Um, uh, Natalie Portman. Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> was it? For what? Yes. For what was the... Um, That's your next question. Oh, uh, the years that Jennifer Lawrence was campaigning that she participated in the THR Actress Roundtables, what was the one she was nominated for, and what was the one she wasn't nominated for? 
Well, it wasn't Winter's Bow. Um, Silver Linings Playbook was obviously nominated for. You're saying that's what she was there for her round yes. table for? Yes. No. No. Because I thought she had stopped campaigning by even by American Hustle, but it's got to be American Hustle because she was not there for Joy. No. She was there for Joy. She was there for Joy. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck! What was she there for that she wasn't nominated for? Is it Passengers? No. Okay, good. Uh, I mean, it, what year was Passengers? 2016, wasn't it? She was not there for Passengers. So it was before Joy. No. It was after Joy. It's after Joy. We've maybe talked about it on this podcast. At length. <laughs> oh, God. Not Serena. No. <laughs> Serena is before Joy. Yes, it is. Um, in uh, in every sense of the term. A landmark episode for this podcast. Joseph. Mother! She was there in 2017 for Mother. I forgot that. She, you're totally right, because she's on the Isabel Huppert one. Yes. yes okay. Yes, yes. This next question... What year had the most actresses on the THR roundtable? How many were there, and can you name all of them? Was it 2018? No. Was it 2019? No. Okay. I know that, like, there were more, there's been more of them recently. Um, I'm just going to keep going back. Was it 2017? No. Damn it. <laughs> Am I close? Uh, you're two off. It was 2015. 2015. Okay. How many were on the 2015 one? Well, we said Jennifer Lawrence for Joy. Yes. We said Helen Mirren for Trumbo and Women in Gold. Yes. Um, we said Kate Blanchett for Carol. Yes. All right. So we've already got a little bit of a head start there. Um... I don't think Alicia Vikander was there. I will give you that. With this unwell number of actresses in 2015, for Alicia Vikander to not be among them is hilarious. It is kind of hilarious. Um, Not Charlotte Rampling, right? Incorrect. Charlotte no, Rampling she was, was there? there? Yes. Oh, wow. I'll give you the number. It is eight actresses. <laughs> All right. So that's four of them. It's eight gotten. actresses. This is also the year of Oscar So White, and they are all white actresses and it is embarrassing that they had the most amount of actresses they've ever had on the hollywood reporter roundtable eight actresses and they are all lily white sersha no sersha's the other one that it's like you got eight actresses and you didn't get sersha <laughs> oh my goodness okay not winslet for steve jobs right incorrect winslet is there winslet for You're steve jobs Yes, you're still waiting on three actresses, one of which we've already mentioned. Um, 2015. Recently did an episode on this movie. Oh, Carrie and Suffragette. Carrie Mulligan for Suffragette. Um, you're missing an Oscar winner and someone who wasn't nominated. Okay. Um, Oscar winner that won that year. That won that year? Yes. Uh, Brie Larson was there. Okay. Brie Larson was there in a red suit. Right. That was the thing. It was like right. the photographs from this one were like probably my favorite round yeah. table, table photographs, but it was like, they're all fucking white, man. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the, um, the one who wasn't nominated that participated in this round table definitely had the like 
there's always a living legend in each of these round table spots. Jane right? Fonda. Like the, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda for yes. uh, for youth. For fucking fucking youth. youth. Yep. Uh, that's a movie that slaps Jane Fonda in the face. All yes. right. So, how many years have neither the supporting actress or lead actress winner <laughs> participated in the actress roundtable? Okay. All right. Neither um, of them. Right. So, and this it started is kind of in... easy. This is a gimme. Well, let's go through them methodically, shall we? 2008, Winslet and Cruz. I don't remember 2008 at all. 2009, um, Bullock and Monique. I think that's... Wait, Bullock probably would have been there. 2010, definitely not. 2011, we said Octavius... No, Octavia was for... Now I can't remember my own answers. God damn it! Um... I'm just going to give it to you because you've already gotten there. It's only one time. It's 2008. 2008. Neither Winslet 08 nor is very, uh, like, they. 2010 is when they really, like, form what it is. And 2009, I honestly think, is, like, uh, I was going to say this for later, but, like, Monique is there for 2009. Which really? is, like, A, amazing. She shows up looking fucking amazing and everybody else is still like business casual her whole thing was i'm not campaigning that year exactly that is my point where it's like anybody who still wants to talk shit about monique saying that she didn't campaign and was whatever about it it is incorrect she was at the actress roundtable and she fucking rules in it Uh, i'll post a clip to the tumblr where uh she is at the actress roundtable fakes an orgasm with everybody and like It's truly like these things were still, the round table was still gestating. And right. I truly think that Monique is the one who was like, we're going to, we have something here. Let's do this in a big way. And yeah. then next year's 2010, which we started talking about. Anyway, anyway. Um, opposite question next. How many years have both the supporting actress and lead actress winners been included in the Hollywood Reporter or Actress Roundtable? All right. I'm again. Let me let me talk my way through this. I can get there. All right. So Monique was there at the '09 one again. The Sandra Bullock of it all is a mystery to me, but I'm just going to move on. Not 2010. I don't think Meryl was there for the Iron Lady. It's still up in it. I can't now. My mind is trying to remember if Meryl ever was there. But anyway, 2012. You said Lawrence wasn't there for Silver Linings Playbook. 2013 no 2014 Julianne and Patricia Arquette Patricia Arquette was probably there 2015 you said Brie was there but not Alicia 2016 Emma was not there for La La Land. I can't remember. No, we rem- said Emma was there for La La Land, and we also said Viola Davis was only there for the help. Right. Okay. Uh, twenty seventeen. Not Francis. I don't think. 20- Francis is not going to do that. Maybe no. she would do it this year, but right. Twenty eighteen. Regina King and Olivia Coleman, but I don't think Olivia Coleman was at a roundtable. And she then- was not. Last year, Renee was, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure Laura Dern was. I'm going to say two years. Correct. 
two, two years. Two years. Yes. You are right about 2019. You kind of glossed past the other year. 2014. 2014. Julianne, Julianne Moore and Patty Arquette. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Last question before... Oh, no, that was our last question before the lightning round. Okay, oh, so the okay. lightning round. These okay. are all actresses who have only ever appeared in one uh, of the Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable. I'm going to give you four movies. You have to tell me the movie that they were campaigning for when they appeared. Okay. Your first actress, Reese Witherspoon. Your options are How Do You Know, Mud, <laughs> Rendition, and Wild. Well, rendition's too early. Glad you caught that. That was a trick question. Very good. Um, I want to say it's mud. Incorrect. It is wild. It's wild. Okay. I went for the non-obvious. Okay. <laughs> okay. Julia Roberts. Is it August Osage County? Ben is back. Eat, pray, love, or the secret in their eyes? Wow. What if it's the secret in their eyes? Um... Ben is back. Incorrect. It is August Osage August County. August Osage County. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> the August Osage County one is, a, like, that's the, that feels like a real heavy hitter actress roundtable. Lupita's there for um, 12 Years a Slave. Oprah right. is there for right. uh, Lee Daniels the Butler. That right. one was like, whoa, they got all the big names. Plus, um, I have to remember that, like, Julia kind of became the promotional lead for that movie, mm-hmm, where, mm-hmm. like, she did the most press stuff for it. Yes. By far, yes. Uh, okay, your next actress is Felicity Jones. Is it The Invisible Woman, A Monster Calls, On the Basis of Sex, or The Theory of Everything? Once again, The Theory of Everything would seem to be the obvious one. I'm going to say, so not The Aeronauts is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I did not put The Aeronauts in there. Um, I'm going to say On the Basis of Sex. It is the theory of everything. Fuck! I hate you! <laughs> so much! Okay, Saoirse Ronan, shockingly only there once. Uh, is it Lady Bird, Little Women, The Lovely Bones, or Mary Queen of Scots? Fuck. <laughs> oh god, what if... It, These well, are designed to get progressively harder, so I threw you some softballs and you didn't catch the softball. Well, because I thought you were playing hardball at first. I didn't realize they were getting progressively harder. All right. Um, they're somewhat progressively harder. Well, you talk about how chaotic 2009 was, and now I'm wondering if it's partially chaotic because Saoirse was there for the Lovely Bones. Um... What were the other ones? Lady Bird, Mary Queen Lady of Scots. Lady Bird, Little Women, The Lovely Bones, and Mary Queen of Scots. All right. It's either Lady Bird or Little Women. And I'm going to guess it's Little Women. It is Lady Bird. Fuck. Next actress, Jessica Chastain. Is it Miss Sloan, Molly's Game, A Most Violent Year, or Zero Dark Thirty? A Most Violent Year. Incorrect, it is Molly's Game. Damn it! I wanted to say Molly's Game. I always want to <laughs> We gotta Molly's get game. you to get one of these. We'll get, we'll get you one. No. Okay, next actress. Charlize Theron. Is it Bombshell? Mad Max Fury Road, Tully, or Young Adult? Bombshell, Mad Max Fury Road, Tully, or Young Adult? 
Why is my brain saying Tully, even though that's the least likely of the four of them? Do I trust my brain? Or do I once again revisit the fact that, like... Rachel Weiss was there for the deep blue sea. I don't know what unlikely looks like in this. What year was Tully? Can you at least tell me that? Tully was 2017? No, it was 2018. All right. So that was the red year, and I don't remember her being there in red. So I'm going to say young adult. It is young adult. You Yay, got one. I got one. You got one. Uh, yes, yeah, so she was in the 2011 one. Nice. Uh, uh, next actress, uh, beloved here on this head Oscar buzz, the one and only Naomi Watts. She was there for either Fair Game, oh, The God. Impossible, J. Edgar, or St. Vincent. uh one more time fair game the impossible j edgar or saint vincent saint vincent incorrect it was the impossible impossible. a movie she was nominated good for her good for her your last actress in the lightning round is none other than meryl streep yeah was she there there once august osage county Florence Foster Jenkins, Into the Woods, or The Iron Lady. Okay. So lots to consider here. One of which is, part of me feels like she and Oprah were on the same one. But part of me also feels like the Florence Foster Jenkins publicity push was like a lot. But then she would have been there the same year as Isabel Huppert, and I feel like there would be a lot more made about that. So I'm going to say August Osage County. Trick question. Meryl has never participated in a Hollywood Reporter Actress so Roundtable. I hate you so much. I'm going to murder you. <laughs> I'm just going to come to Ohio and absolutely murder you. That was... <laughs> That was my psychodrama throughout this entire thing was, I don't think Meryl has ever been in one of these, but was she? <laughs> she she hasn't. I mean, we'll, I, I have a hard time believing that Meryl is going to hop on a Zoom uh, no. for that. Like, she did it for Sondheim. I, I was going to say, she did it for it, Sondheim. Like, yeah. I, I feel like I could see her doing it finally this year, but uh, we'll see. I'm curious to see who will be in the lineup. I bet Carrie Mulligan does it again. I bet Kate Winslet does it again. Oh, all right. That, who's to say? Um, just to give you the 2009 lineup, because I think I taunted you with this yes. yesterday. Um, it is Emily Blunt for The Young Victoria. The aforementioned Patricia Clarkson for Cairo Time and Whatever Works. Vera Farmiga for Up in the Air. Right. Monique for Precious. Right. Carrie Mulligan for An Education. And Robin Wright for The Secret Lives of Pippoli. Yeah, that's wild and crazy. That's insane. That's totally insane. I love it. I love it so much. You guys, we love the Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtable. Maybe by the time... Uh, this episode comes out, we will have this year's. I don't know what it's going to look like, but like timing wise, it would probably be. We might not like, get it for another month or two. Honestly, yeah. who like, knows? Um, can you just give me the 2011 lineup though? Because it really was wrecking my brain trying to remember who would have been at that one. 2011 is um, that's not the Oprah year. No, Oprah um, year that's... is 2013. 2011, we just yes. said Charlize Theron for Young Adult. 
2013 is Amy Adams, Lupita Nyong'o, um, Julia Roberts, Octavia Spencer, Emma Thompson, and Oprah. Right. That's like BFD. Yeah. 2011, though, is Glenn Close, Viola Davis, Carrie Mulligan, Octavia Spencer, Charlize Theron, and Michelle Williams. All right. Okay. All right. I couldn't remember. My major takeaway is that with all those white actresses in 2015, it is still bananas to me that Alicia Vikander is. Yeah, it's very funny. It's very funny. All right. So, Hilary Swank, legend among the actress roundtable, there for conviction. Let's bring it back to conviction. We didn't really talk about Sam Rockwell. Yeah, let's do that a little bit. He got a Critics' Choice nomination for this. He got a Critics' Choice nomination. The only Oscar nominee who wasn't nominated was John Hawks. Critics' Choice also nominated Andrew Garfield, who I feel like Andrew Garfield was probably the actual sixth place yes, with Oscar. Very, yeah, very, very likely so. I was kind of, that was a pretty big surprise, I remember. Who was the one who nipped him? Was it Jeremy Renner in the town or was it John Hawks in Winter's Bone? It was John Hawks. It was John Hawks, okay. Because yeah. John Hawks wasn't nominated at Critics' Choice. Right, right. Um, and then SAG that year, he was, Hawks was, yeah, SAG and, and Oscar matched up exactly. So that was sort of the, the warning sign for Garfield when he didn't show up at SAG that year. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Hawks is great in Winter's Bone. Hawks should have been nominated two years in a row. That's my big thing was should have been nominated for Winter's Bone in 2010 and then Marcia, Martha Marcy May Marlene in 2011. Two performances that got really kind of lumped together. Right. Um, as very like similar things because it's like it's an emerging actress some of it takes place in the woods like but they're very but different characters one is very heroic be and one more is different. not yeah and he couldn't be bringing more different energy and then he goes and does it again in the sessions where it's like these three really great performances that are all incredibly different from each other um yeah i love john hawks yeah yeah he had like what a great era for him it's sort of a bummer that he like is now officially back to his pre winter's bone sort of status as like, Mm -hmm. you know, character actor who pops up in things. But Sam Rockwell at this point, like we talked about this a little bit with the way, way back where it's like, he's the, like, it's no surprise. I think that if of the major precursors, he shows up at critics choice because at this point he's still like the critics are rallying around. Like when is Sam Rockwell going to get his due? I was now, yeah. It's like we might want to take that back a little bit. Like not like this, not like this. I was um, looking at his filmography, and I was trying to think of like when did sort of the justice for for Sam Rockwell thing emerge. And so I feel like like ninety nine confessions of a dangerous mind, right? Well, but I think I think it was slightly earlier than that because I feel like the nineteen ninety nine two thousand thing where he's in Galaxy Quest and charlie's angels and it's one of those things where you might not even know who what his name is but it's just like oh that guy in that movie like i remember watching charlie's angels and being like oh this guy's got something and i don't like i don't know what his deal is but like he's very charming but in a very like intriguing kind of a way and then yeah i think after that uh confessions of a dangerous mind in 2002 was when like the critics really started singling him out for things for that performance he's really really great in that and then 2003 Matchstick Men, 2005 Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, he's in the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, and then Frost Nixon back to back in 2007, 2008. So like mm-hmm. he's starting to now be in things that are getting Oscar nominations for other elements and for other actors. 
So it's like getting there. And then Moon in 2009 is another sort of like peak where people are just like, obviously Moon was never going to be an Oscar movie, but people like really flipped out for his performance in that film. And then 2010 is a really big year for him because he's the villain in Iron Man 2. The best thing and maybe the only really good thing the about only Iron Man thing 2. About that movie. He's so much fun to watch in that film. Like he's really, really having a great time, just like smarming it up with the best of them. And then that's the same year as Conviction. And so I think a lot of people thought if Conviction were better received, maybe a little bit better of a movie, that he might have had a shot for it. And it's funny that it's another seven years before his first Oscar nomination from that. Cause it really did feel mm-hmm. like around that time that he was maybe on the precipice. And well, and it also makes complete sense. Um, Cause three billboards was his first nomination. He's that type of actor that it's like, as soon as they're nominated, they're going to win. Right. You look at his films from conviction onward and it's just like, they're odd genre choices right where it's like seven psychopaths the other martin mcdonough movie he does um uh laggies the way way back these things that are kind of like on the fringe of like best of the year conversation but like never really serious oscar Mm -hmm. uh, contenders uh but people really like him and all of those things so again yeah he's building up all this goodwill but Three Billboards was the first time in a long time that he was in something that you could have plausibly considered like a long lead Oscar buzz thing, right? Mm-hmm. I like him so much as an actor. It's a bummer that there's so much ill will surrounding the film that he got his Oscar for. Yeah, well, and I mean, then he was immediately nominated in, like, kind of a very small role as George W. Bush in a movie that was reviled. Right. Um, Well, yeah, he's made really, like, (laughs) he keeps sort of ending up, and again, it's one of these things where, like, when the discourse has labeled you problematic adjacent, everything you do going forward gets interpreted through that lens a little bit. So like, well, and then he even had that movie that we thought would be an Oscar movie, but then it got pushed to the next year with Taraji, where he was playing a Klansman, the best of Um, enemies. Yep. Yeah. Where it's like, even at this point, it might've even been the round table where he was there for vice. I think where they were asking some type of question about like versatility. And he's like, I think I'm done playing racists. I can't do this anymore. (laughs) But it's so Um, funny to look at his like three billboards, uh, best of enemies, as we mentioned vice, which is political, like got a lot of political flack for like, why are you making a movie about Dick Cheney? Yada, yada, yada. Jojo rabbit, which like inherited all of this, like, bad like people don't like scarlett johansson and also people are like why are you making light of nazis or whatever a lot of things that i thought were pretty unfair to jojo rabbit um and then richard jewell which had this like ton of bad vibes coming from it for the eastwood thing for the richard jewell which i commonly refer to as dick diamond (laughs) god damn it you're the worst um i hate that movie that movie's the worst uh but so like yeah he keeps sort of ending up so i feel like sam rockwell is one of those actors that like all that goodwill has now sort of turned into like he is uh move like not film twitter because there's a lot of people on film twitter who really stick up for him but there's like i don't know like 
casual movie fans who like interpret movies strictly through uh cultural political lenses do you know what i'm talking about i don't want i'm trying to well, not but say there's also Twitter. it's this like period of three or four years where it's like that's all you can associate this actor to is him playing nazis white supremacists racists like but i think that's also you know it's i think it's he's right to say i gotta take a break from playing roles like this because it's also hard on the audience like i who like sam rockwell like these years have just like kind of you know burned me he's not like someone who's known for playing villains or something or puts a unique stamp on villains and i also don't think those performances speak to what he's good at you know even like aside from the content of i think he's pretty good in richard jewel though is the thing like i think he's been good in movies that maybe i didn't really like but also but the other thing is is you have this base of experience with sam rockwell's performances from before three billboards that i think a lot of more casual observers who made a big deal about how much who sort of piled on the whole like three billboards sucks thing didn't necessarily have do you know what I mean? We're like, sure. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Like, I even felt it with this movie, Conviction, where it's like, I feel like it's maybe a stretch to say he should be nominated for this movie. I, agree. I think he's mostly fine. Right. I but agree. like, this is also a movie that I think has that three billboards thing where it's like, it's trying really hard to be like, but he's a good person for someone who's like, you know. Like, not to say something about a living person, but it's like, it does a lot to be like, oh, but he's so charming after he's, like, been violent and, like, you know, it's not necessarily, it's the human behavior, it's the movie working so hard to, like, sell me on something. Rather than let me think what I think about a character who has been wronged and, like, I can say that something wrong was done to this person without you having to be like, yeah, but all those bad things, who cares? Um, Yeah. I've decided I like Sam Rockwell best in a movie that doesn't have incredibly high stakes. Right. Maybe not like, like internal stakes. Yes. Sure. But like, like give me him in like a hangout movie or just like something like something that doesn't have, sort of these like real world implications so much i don't know i feel like yeah he's good at playing scumbags like he is but like uh, yeah this like charming way yeah 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 we like we should also mention melissa leo in this movie because this is the year that she won her oscar for i it's oh boy i (laughs) i i definitely thought this whole year that i was like melissa leo is in possession of amy adams oscar um, yes, Amy Adams should have won for the fighter. That's what she should have yeah, an Oscar for. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, Amy Adams should maybe have two Oscar. Um, but what would what would your other one be? Junebug. Probably Junebug, but like you know, divide, conquer, and divide from like what, she could have one for other performances too. She could have one. We just talked about this in our mailbag. She never would have, but like she could have one for Arrival. Right. Um, I'm kinder to her American Hustle performance than some people. I love um, her performance in American Hustle is the best performance in American Hustle. I don't. Oh, by a mile. I think by there are mile. bad performances in that movie. And I think ultimately that movie is a mess, but she kicks ass in that film. Yeah. 
Yeah. She, like, the reason that that movie has, like, a foundation of thematic substance is her performance. Yeah. Um, but Melissa Leo this year, who it's like, she, what critics' prizes did she win for The Fighter? But, like, it's funny to me that, like, critics will still, like, lump performances together in one prize and nobody did it for this movie and for a good reason because this is like the start of melissa leo being like it, it, not to put it like everything in drag race terms but you know when the judges are like you know when are we gonna not see this thing that you do all the time melissa leo loves to hide behind a pair of glasses melissa leo won the national society of film critics award in 2010 <laughs> for the fighter, not for this tied together. Yeah. Um but like this is very much of the class of like her performance in Prisoners where it's like you are just in a different movie. Wait, it's funny. Okay, I should take that back. Now I want now I need to go and look into this. It says no. She won. I was looking at Sorry, I'm really bogging this down in minutia. Her Wikipedia page tab says she won National Society of Film Critics Best Supporting Actress for The Fighter. But now, as I look into it, Olivia Williams won Best Supporting Actress from National Society of Film Critics for The Ghostwriter that year, and Melissa Leo was a runner-up. So what I'm saying is, Melissa Leo's Wikipedia page is a damn liar. So uh, Maybe somebody should consider fixing oh! Yeah. Melissa Leo in The Fighter, I get why i take that back uh oh well she won the boston film festival prize for this the fighter and welcome to the rileys yeah yeah some people sort of like lumped in uh, other things it's ultimately not a surprise to me that she won for the fighter she's the more bombastic performance i think it's right after she was like the underdog story for frozen river Right. But it's funny to watch how her reputation shifted in just the two years from Frozen River to The Fighter, because I think when winning for The Fighter and the kind of performance that was, I think suddenly her performances slash her roles start becoming a lot more um, grotesque a little bit. Yes. Well, yeah. It's that thing where, like, I I say it's like she exists in a movie that's not like she's in a whole other movie with the performances that she give it's not sometimes it's good sometimes i enjoy that like in oblivion i like i love that she's (laughs) just good in oblivion so extra or like even something like prisoners right we're like she's just see i think she's the worst thing about prisoners um I forgot she yeah, played Laura Yeah, and like she's doing Snowden. that in the fighter too. Yeah. I don't oh, yeah. think it's a good performance, but she makes sense for the world of the movie. Like the yes. performance that, like the tenor, the pitch of her performance makes sense with everything else around her. Whereas, like Prisoners, it's like yeah, you really are like showing up for this in a way that is like drawing attention. That's like. I felt that way in flight. Pulling you out of the movie when she was she was in flight as the uh, essentially kind of the a similar kind of a character as she is in Conviction, which is an authority figure who is out to get the main character for no good reason. Um, yeah. But uh, wait, Melissa Leo, what I was going to say? Oh, the fighter. So I'm somebody who loves the fighter just in general. I think it's a great movie, one of my favorite David O. Russell movies, if not my favorite David O. Russell movie. Um, and I think one, if you love the fighter. 
one of the things you love is like the depiction of that family, all of the sisters, like that whole thing, I think is a real sort of like crowd pleasing element of that movie. And she's sort of the queen of that portion of the film. Right. So I, it does not surprise me that like people who responded to the fighter really responded to her. Amy's getting, giving a much more grounded, uh, it's not like her performance is small or like, uh, receding in any way but comparatively it's quieter it's more sort of you know emotional uh, in a way that recognizes as human emotion <laughs> and she's just great in it but like melissa i mean everybody was so like um wowed by christian bale and i think of their scene on the porch together where she just like knocks his ass off the screen it's yep. so that scene is like maybe the best scene she's ever done yeah, it is. To the point where it's like I have made a meme for myself of I like my life, Dickie. Yeah, no, <laughs> you say that all the time. It's whenever people are like talking shit about something that uh, I like, like I think I even said I like Avatar, Dickie. You did, you maniac. Um, I want to talk about. I Tony- mean, we can say why this movie didn't end up like going all the way and i think it's because i mean a it was so mildly received it's positive on or it's uh it's fresh on rotten tomatoes but barely it's like a 61 on metacritic yeah it's a Uh, it's a middling movie fox searchlight had other priorities they had 127 hours in black swan that year they also had never let me go which i'm excited to talk about at some point yeah Tony Goldwyn directed this movie. Tony Goldwyn, a uh, notable actor. He's the bad guy in Ghost. He's the uh, president's b- uh, evil flunky in The Pelican Brief. He is, of course, uh, sexy but good for nothing, as far as I'm concerned, president of the United States in Scandal for uh, many, many years. Um, he direct- He's directed four films, first of which was very well received, actually, A Walk on the Moon, the one about Viggo Mortensen mm-hmm. and Diane Lane going to Woodstock or meeting at Woodstock or something with Woodstock. Uh, Diane Lane got critics prizes for that. And yeah. also uh, written by the writer of Conviction, Pamela Gray. So uh, this is sort of France. a reteaming of them. This is the last... He hasn't directed a feature film since Conviction. His other uh, films, though, he directed the very um, anonymous romantic comedy uh, Someone Like You, where Ashley Judd plays a uh, woman named Jane Goodall for some reason, but not the famous uh, chimp uh, researcher. And she and Hugh Jackman uh, are like antagonistic to each other, but then they fall in love. Like that. Kind of... She has a whole philosophy about uh, relationships and he challenges that and they end up like whatever, whatever. Um, and then the other film he directed is uh, the terrible uh paul haggis scripted zach braff starring the last kiss which shows up on our imdb Uh, game weirdly a lot all the time and we mentioned it because it is of course a jacinda barrett movie and we will always mention a jacinda barrett movie but like incredibly well cast film about the most annoying uh 20 something jerks uh, uh, people it's just it was the movie that like after the people had their buyer's remorse against about garden state that like they all really took it out on the last kiss because the last kiss was uh, all of the bad things about Garden State with none of the charming things. I do think there are plenty of charming things about Garden State, but we don't have to get into that. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, Tony Goldwyn's an interesting uh, director in that way, and that like he doesn't seem to have a directorial stamp or style, but he's such a notable 
character actor that it's always you know interesting to see that he's directed for feature films in this way uh indeed i'm just going through my notes right now uh i didn't mention that talia balsam shows up for like a scene in this movie i always like when talia balsam shows up because uh is she george clooney's ex-wife or ex-girlfriend yeah ex-wife right they were married i'm pretty sure yeah always notable to uh to and she's a great character actress too i wrote down the way hillary swank says torts exam that was my only note it was just like i wrote that (laughs) but she says it it was funny enough that i wanted to write it down torts exam um again sopranos oh we didn't mention i just want to mention very quickly um martha coakley the real life uh massachusetts politician martha coakley is a character who was name checked in this movie, although she never actually appears. Um, she famously was the one who, the Democrat who ran to fill Ted Kennedy's seat after he died, and she lost to Scott Brown, who um, that like fuck. Remember how that like fucked up the balance of the Senate in Obama's first term, and also Scott Brown is the father of former American Idol semifinalist Ayla Brown. That's the only thing I really know. Um, about Scott Brown, and then she also lost, like, the governor race in Massachusetts as a Democrat. Basically, like, prominent Democrat who lost two races to Republicans in fucking Massachusetts. So, like, thank you. But I was reading, just, like, clicked out of her Wikipedia page really quickly, and I just want to read uh, this one graph where it just says she was the Democratic nominee in the 2010 special election to fill Ted Kennedy's seat. She lost to Scott Brown in what was widely considered an upset. She won re-election as attorney general in 2010 that's why she's mentioned in this movie because she's the attorney general of massachusetts she was the democratic nominee for governor in 2014 but lost to republican charlie baker coakley is now a lobbyist for the e-cigarette company jewel oh god the ad right right comes out of nowhere truly uh an 11th hour uh number uh, to be sure she said uh follow your heart your intuition let's vape <laughs> oh god that should be Jules' uh, tagline, shouldn't it? Follow your heart, your intuition, let's yeah. vape. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Martha Coakley, the villain of this movie, even though she never shows up. Oh, boy. Should we move on to the IMDb game? Let's do it. All right. Can you tell our listeners what the IMDb game is? Hey, sure. Why not? Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that is not enough, it becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. Joseph, sure would you like to give or guess first? I'll give first. Why not? All right, whomst do you have for me? So I just mentioned Tony Goldwyn, a famous actor and director. He was on the entire run of ABC's Scandal, a show that was messy as hell, but I very much enjoyed it. Uh, Classic Shonda Rhimes uh, TV soapiness. And his romantic counterpart in that show, also the lead of that show, is the great Kerry Washington. Spectacular. So I'm going to have you guess Kerry Washington's known for. Okay, how much TV's on there? Just the one. Just one television show. Just the one. Uh, The one television's gonna be Scandal. It is indeed Scandal. Scandal. Um, Ray. Incorrect. Wow, really? Okay. Surprising, Um, surprising. This is shitty, but Django Unchained is probably there. It is. Uh, She says, like, two words. Yeah. 
if yep. that. Yep. Um, what about Save the Last Dance? Save the Last Dance. Yes, correct. Cool. Is she his sister in that? She is, yes, she is um, the love interest. Uh, 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 Julia Stiles' best friend and then starts dating uh, the brother. Um. Right. What is his act? That actor, Sean Patrick Thomas. Ah, uh, yes. Cruel Why Intentions is Sean Patrick Luke. Thomas. Um, it is not. Okay. From here, because it's not Little Fires Everywhere, gonna have to doubt that it is the prom where she is homophobically cast as a homophobe. <laughs> uh, refuse to believe in any world where Carrie uh, Washington is homophobic. <laughs> um, mm. See, she's played wives in things. She has. That she deserves better than being wives. She was in that... Um, is it Neil? It's not Neil Abute, is it? Where Samuel L. Jackson is the cop? I believe that is Neil like, Abute. To the Mary it is. It's Neil Abute? Okay. Um, I don't know if he wrote it, but he definitely directed it. I don't he, think it's that because I don't remember the name of it. It's something generic. It is Lakeview Terrace. I can Terrace. remember. I will just tell you that. She is in the Chris Rock movie, I Think I Love My Wife. So I think it's I Think my, I Love My Wife because she's probably second build in it. She is in that, but it is not that film. So that is your second mm. strike. Uh, that film was from 2007. Your missing film is from 2006. 2006. So it's after Ray. Correct. It's... Maybe it is that Samuel L. Jackson cop movie. Lord knows when that came out. Well, wait. 2006... Um... She is in The Last King of Scotland, which is Forrest Whitaker's Oscar. Is it The Last King of Scotland? She does play a wife in The Last King of Scotland. It is correct, yes. Yeah, she has a sex scene with uh, James McAvoy. A super hot sex scene with James McAvoy, I will say. A plus, thumbs up to that sex scene. A lot of his butt in that movie. Yep. Yeah, well done. Good job. Thank you. For you, uh, I maybe went a little easy on you because I gave you a very difficult quiz, but relating back to the quiz, how could I not give you the actress that has appeared in the most THR actress roundtables? It's one Miss Amy Adams. Have we never done Amy Adams? On like one of the earliest episodes, we did it on the Shop Girl episode when we had Pam as a guest, but right. that was like two years ago. Okay. All right, and I've forgotten it. It's probably changed since then. All right, Amy Adams is one of them. Junebug. No. <laughs> Off to a roaring start, Joe. Okay. Junebug is the one you guessed from her Oscar nominations. Yeah, it's. It feels like it feels it's a like, great movie, but like it feels I don't like even know well, where I, you can watch that movie. Fine. Um. Listen, you just gave me a very uh, humiliating quiz that I did very poorly at, so you can stop. uh, You did very well. You can stop shading me for my incorrect answers. I gave you a very easy uh, person for your IMDb. (laughs) Yeah, except that she's got a billion roles that she's notable for. All right. um, Arrival. Arrival, yes. Enchanted. Enchanted, yes. Um...
See, for some reason, I don't think it's the fighter. Which means that it probably is the fighter. The master. No, not the master. Okay, so your years are 2008 and 2013. American Hustle. American Hustle. And Doubt. And Doubt. Correct. Well done. Thank God there is no DC Cinematic Universe movies on here, (laughs) which I do believe has not always been the case, and that's why I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure, like, Man of Steel was on here before. Yeah, yeah. Justice League God. The, yeah, the the Amy Adams cut. Where is the where is the Amy Adams cut of that film? I ask you. <laughs> Put that on HBO Max instead of movies that deserve to be in theaters. Anyway, good episode. Yeah, that's our episode. If you guys want more of this had Oscar buzz, you can check out our Tumblr at the sadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also check out our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joseph, where can the listeners find more of you and uh, your thoughts? Oh, you know, um, I'm at Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Letterboxd, trying very hard to plow through the films of 2020. Uh, Joe Reed, Reed spelled the exact same way. And I am also on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts, now including Spotify. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please devote yourselves to our cause so much that you uh, that you have to... Well, fuck. <laughs> a five-star review in particular really helps us out with apple podcast visibility so please devote yourselves to our cause so much they have to give you that law degree that's all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz guess what next week is cats episode. cats episode. <laughs>